Please open a Bible this morning with me to the book of Exodus. We've been going through the the journey of Israel from Egypt where God rescued them on their way to Sinai, where God will give them a plan for worshiping him. This is a journey that is meant to teach them to trust in God day by day, a journey which shows us the good news of the gospel, that God rescues his people, that God provides every day for their needs, that God provides sacrifice to atone for their sins, that God hears our prayers, that God forgives our sins. Last week in chapter 17, we saw the victory that God gained over enemies that took advantage of Israel in the wilderness. And now we turn to Exodus 18. If you're looking for it in the Bible that's there in the pew in front of you, you can find this on page 72. In Exodus 18, we see God's interaction through Moses with a, another foreigner, someone who is not descended, uh, not part of the people of Israel rescued from slavery. So listen to the word of God as I read Exodus chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zibra, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my, God, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am com- coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptian for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, "'Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh.'" and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. 
But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news that your word announces to us. That you tell us of the, the great things that you have accomplished for your people. That you are the God who rescues us from our sins. And so, Father, I pray that we too today would know this truth. Lord, for each one who listens to the reading and preaching of your word, I pray that your spirit would be active in his or her heart. That the truth of the gospel would be announced. That your spirit would give insight that we might each understand your grace and love. Lord, where we in our sin turn away from you, where we are rebellious, where we are resistant, Lord, break through our sin. Let us turn back to you and find salvation through Jesus, our Savior. Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I first went with my dad to the Wheels of Time Hot Rod Car Show when I was nine years old. Thousands of cars uh, spreading across a, a campground, spreading across a, a community park, uh, beautifully restored, brightly colored, meticulously maintained, with oldies music playing nonstop. It was really like a, a family wonderland. Now, my dad returned every year for decades to the same car show in his ministry as a, as a chaplain. The weekend event included a Sunday morning worship service in the park's band shell. There in the grove of trees with the sunlight filtering through and the, the big band shell behind, my dad went year after year at the invitation of the organization to preach the gospel. They said, well, it's going to take a whole weekend, and well, some people might want to go to church on Sunday, so let's bring church to them. Now, every year, one of the host organization's members set up all the sound equipment before the service began. He would drag it out, get everything plugged in, do all of the tests, but he always left before the worship service began. And then he waited until everything was wrapped up before he came back. He always had somewhere else that was more important to him than sitting through church. Until the year that it rained, and I mean rain rained, like half the people left the event, everything was soaked, knee-deep in mud, there was really nothing to do, but, well, church still goes on. Not in the band shell, but, but in the Budweiser tent next to the food vendors. You just drag the sound system in there and you, well, you, you, you preach there. And so Jack W., he gets the last initial so you don't get him confused with my dad, who was also Jack. Jack W., after he set up everything, well, today, he has nowhere to go. There is nothing else happening because of the pouring rain. 
But Jack still won't come inside the tent because that would mean he went to church. So he sat in his golf cart in the pouring rain, getting drenched to the bone despite his little poncho. So he technically wasn't in the worship service. But he was close enough that he heard everything that was read and spoken and said. For the first time, Jack really heard the gospel. And my dad didn't know he was there because he was behind where my dad was preaching. But my little sister, well, she wasn't little at this point. She was an adult. My, my, my sister at this point is, is watching, and she knows Jack. She's seen him year after year. And so as soon as the service ends, she goes to talk with him. And he had questions. Who is Jesus? Is that really true? Is what your dad was talking about, is, is that what he's been saying all these years? And my sister got to walk Jack again through the gospel. In the coming days, Jack W. put his trust in Jesus Christ. He connected with a local church. And years later, my dad had the opportunity, with Jack's permission, to share Jack's story back in the band shell at a worship service. Now, there is, of course, great privilege in vocational gospel ministry for my dad as a chaplain. Preaching the gospel in a Sunday service but there is great importance and privilege in ongoing Christian ministry for each one of us, for everyone who calls on Christ to have the privilege to share the, the news of Jesus with another, to make it part of our daily lives, for my sister to have the privilege of, of watching my dad preach, but then sharing the gospel herself, to be part of making the gospel known in the normal routines of ongoing ministry. Moses, in Exodus 18, is reunited with his family. Do you notice what he, what he does? After he runs out of his tent to greet his father-in-law, what does he do? He shares with him good news. Now, the word gospel is, a, is of course, a, a New Testament word that means good news. It's a Greek word, so it's, it's not here in the text, but but, but look at verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear all the good things the Lord had done. There is gospel, good news being shared here. For Moses, when he, when he greets his family, and it, it seems likely that, that his wife, Zipporah, had traveled partway back to Egypt. Remember Moses saw the burning bush, called by God to go back to Egypt to rescue God's people. And Zipporah, we know from the early chapters of of Exodus travels at least part of the way with him. But at some point, either before he got to Egypt or after things got bad in Egypt, he decided, you know what, maybe it would be safer if you weren't here. I mean, after all, Moses is being sent by God to do battle against Pharaoh. Sending his wife and sons back home to safety would be a reasonable thing to do. But, but here he's reunited with his family. We've already met his son named Gershom, although we're reminded in verse 3 what his name means. It's a, a name that, that sounds like the phrase that I have become an alien, a foreigner in a strange place, in a distant land. And that, that I mean, that's Moses' story. Both as a child, a Hebrew child raised in a foreign land in the, in the palaces of Egypt, but also Moses taken even from there, the land of his childhood, and 
and taken out into the wilderness by God. And now brought back. Moses has yet to set foot in the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for the first time in the book of Exodus, we meet the second son of Moses. Verse 4 tells us his name was Eliezer, which, again, is, is the trans, when translated for us in verse 4, my father's God was my helper. Moses' two sons, their names tell Moses' story. I was a stranger in a foreign land. God is my helper. I mean, it's really a summary of the book of Exodus, isn't it? The people of God are strangers. They went to Egypt, rescued by God in the book of Genesis. They went to Egypt, but they were not meant to stay in Egypt. They were enslaved there. They are foreigners. They, they, are, they are in exile as foreigners, but God was my helper. God has rescued them from Egypt. And that rescue gets, gets even more explicit, that language of rescue here in the book. In, in verse 1, uh, Jethro, who is, we, we're told, he is the priest of Midian, but, but he hears in verse 1 everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, of course, Jethro had interest in how this story was going to turn out because it was his son-in-law who went down to rescue God's people. And so, did it work, or is Moses now a slave as well? Or were they defeated and captured by the Egyptians? And so, so he's going to, to Moses to find out, because he's heard something of the, the good things that God had done. And when Moses, in verse 7, hears the message that, that his father-in-law is coming to meet him, he, he leaves his tent, he bows down and kisses his father. Now, this is a, this is a generous greeting, I mean, it, it sounds pretty generous to, to fall at someone's feet, to, to offer a, a, a kiss of welcome. But it's even more generous that Moses left his tent. Moses, at this point, and, and in the ancient world, you don't, if you're the great man, the leader of a, of a great nation, you don't leave your place to go greet a visitor. What do you do? You bring them in to you. If you were going to, to greet Pharaoh, what would you have to do? You'd have to walk through all the palaces of Pharaoh and move into his throne room where he sits exalted on his throne. And yet Moses, by this point, is a great man. We know he's a messenger of God, leading a people. He has defeated Pharaoh by God's power. And yet, what does he do when he, when he hears his father-in-law is coming? He runs out to greet him and welcomes him. Generously then, verse 8 explaining to us that he told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Now, you, you notice there's, there's a slight change from verse 1 to verse 8. Jethro goes looking for news about what God has done, and Moses tells him what Yahweh has done. Now, of course, those are synonyms. It is right to call Yahweh God, but Yahweh is not a title. God is a title. Yahweh is his name, the way that he has revealed himself to his people. You could use the word God to describe lots of great powers. Any kind of spiritual power that seemed bigger than you, well, then you'd give it the, the title God. But there is only one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. That's the, the, way, that, the, the, the way that your English translation makes that clear is that it's, that it's all capital letters when it's Lord. It's capital L and then the little capitals for O-R-D. If it's capital L with lowercase letters, then it is a title. 
But here it's God's name. Moses is describing that God personally, having revealed himself to me at at the burning bush, God has now personally intervened on behalf of his people. God has rescued us. God has, verse, the, the end of verse 8 says, saved us. Now Jethro, his response is that he's delighted to hear about everything, all the good things that Yahweh had done for Israel. And, and we get the, the repetition of, of the language of that God has rescued them. Moses' Jethro's response becomes one in verse 10 of praise. Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro is now using God's covenant name. That it's Yahweh who has done this. It's not merely one of the gods in a pantheon that it's acceptable. That it's Yahweh who has done this. And, And verse 11 makes explicit what he's saying. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. Now, saying that there are other gods doesn't put other spiritual beings, angels and demons and, and, and the devil, doesn't put them on the same level as God. Actually, Jethro is making explicit what, what, is, what is explained throughout Scripture, that Yahweh is greater than all other gods. He's in a different category altogether. He actually is God with a capital G. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. Because Jethro sees what what the God of Israel has done to the gods of Egypt. Now, it's not clear at at the end of verse 11, those who had treated Israel arrogantly, is this the other gods of Egypt or is it Pharaoh in the place of the gods? But you see the point is the same, right? Whether it's Pharaoh and his army acting arrogantly, which they did, they are doing so on behalf of the gods of Egypt that they claim to serve. And yet they aren't true gods at all. The question for Jethro, I mean, what is Jethro's vocation? Look back at verse 1. He's a priest. He's a priest in Midian. He's, he's a foreigner, a now, his, his tribe would be here in this part of the desert, but, but mostly a little bit further east. And so he's traveled to meet with Moses. He's a priest, meaning he's involved in the activities of, of worship and sacrifice to a god. Or maybe to a pantheon, a, a, a plethora of gods. But here he's saying, wait, now I know something I didn't know before. Yahweh is not just a tribal god who follows the Israelites around. Yahweh is a God who defeated all of the gods of Egypt. You stack them all up and God knocks them down. Yahweh must be, must be the true and real God. There is no one greater than Yahweh. And, and Jethro in verse 11 says, now I know this is true. Now that, that theme of knowing we've seen in the, in the book of Exodus already. That God's actions were designed that the people of Israel would know he's the true God, but they were also designed that the nations would know. Pharaoh himself, in in rebelling against God, was supposed to see the miraculous signs of God and say, now I know that Yahweh is God. He was supposed to relent and to let God's people go. Instead, he fought back at every stage, leading to the, the destruction of his entire army in the Red Sea. 
But now, now Jethro knows. Jethro truly believes this is a profession of faith. And, it, and it's unclear from the text if, if he has already been on a journey to faith, that he's already put some sort of trust in Yahweh. But here he makes explicit that he's trusting that Yahweh is the great God. And so he responds in worship. Verse 12. He brings a, a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And then Aaron, who will later be appointed the high priest of Israel, enters into this, this meal and fellowship with with Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. They bring uh, sacrifices showing that, that God is the one who rescues us from our sin. It's a response of praise given to God. Now, now, through the passage, we hear what Jethro's vocation is just once. He's the priest of Midian. And yet he acts as priest in verse, verse 12. But, but how is Jethro related to Moses? It, I mean, it, it's all throughout the text. Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law. It's 13 times in the text we're told, who is, wait, who's Jethro? He's Moses' father-in-law. Again and again. It's the, it's the family relationship, which is the, the pivotal relationship here. It's not, it's not that, that God is excited to have, to have captured a priest of Midian and claimed him for his own, although that, are, that is something of what's happening here. It's that Moses' father-in-law has been brought to faith. I mean, you can think of the, the years that they would have spent together as shepherds. Years of family meals, talking religion. This is the Middle East, after all. It's still a regular topic of conversation. You might hesitate from bringing it up around the, the dinner table this week. Like, there are a few, we've got a list of things. These, these are off topic. We do not talk about these things. And maybe this year your list is longer than it's been in previous years. But we can imagine the meals that they've shared together as Moses recounted the lessons his mother taught him. As Moses told his father-in-law of how he had been rescued, cast out in a basket on the Nile River when Pharaoh was slaughtering innocent children. How God had brought him and rescued him. He could have told the stories that, that he heard from his parents of, of God's promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And here, Moses has the joy of sharing everything the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and his father-in-law responds in faith. Who is, it, who is it in your life that needs to hear the gospel from you? They might sit across the table from you this week. And maybe the table isn't the right place to bring it up. Because somebody's going to get mad and somebody's going to spill gravy and it's going to be chaos. But, but is there a time this week that you can say, you know what, if I'm going to spend that much time with this person, that I need to make sure the gospel is heard in private conversation, in gentle ways, to boldly declare what Yahweh has done for me? Because Yahweh is the true Lord. He is greater than all other gods. There is no other way to be saved except by trusting in Yahweh's rescue, by putting your hope in the one who will be called the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, and it, sounds, it sounds arrogant, and that might be the response you get when you bring this up. And I want to share with you about Jesus and the Lord, what he means to me. That works for you. That's fine. 
but, but keep your religion to yourself. Except that if Yahweh really is the true God of everyone everywhere, then people need to hear it. And, it, and yes, it's, it's an exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way to be saved, but it's a claim that goes to, to everyone, a promise available to everyone. Even priests of Midian can be welcomed into the kingdom of God. A man who has spent his life in false worship, leading people to offer sacrifices to false gods, this man can say, Yahweh is the true God. And so God can work in the lives of your friends and, and, and family. How do I know? Because he's done it in your life. He's done it in mine. He rescued the people from, from ministry in Egypt, or from slavery in Egypt, so that they could serve him and worship him. So we have the gospel proclaimed in, in private ministry, but this chapter also shows us that, that Moses' public ministry is meant to, to teach the people of God how they should live to show them that what does it mean to say that Yahweh is the God above all gods? What does it mean to follow him? How should we live our lives? And so, so Moses' plan is that Moses will just tell everyone every day what to do. Now, I joked with, with my kids this week that I, I want a, a, a T-shirt for Christmas that says, if at first you don't succeed, just do what your pastor said the first time. All right? Or moms, you can get it too, because it, it actually, I think, works better for a mom. If at first you don't succeed, do what your mom told you to do the first time. Um, but, but that's Moses' plan. Every day you come to me and say, what should I do here? And Moses will tell you directly. Now, there's something actually pretty exciting about that as a ministry leader, to think, wait, if everybody had to come to me and they would just, and they would do it? Like, if, if I said, do this, and people would do it. Like, initially, it sort of sounds like an okay plan. Except, of course, Jethro, and wait, who's Jethro? He's Moses' father-in-law. Jethro says, Moses, this is a terrible plan. You, people are standing around all day till evening. You're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to wear the people out. And, and justice delayed is, well, it's no justice at all. Right? The people need justice. They don't, they don't need to wait until the evening only to find out that, well, maybe they won't be heard today and they'll have to come back another time. And, and Jethro's advice is, is wise, he even says that, that uh, uh, prays a blessing uh, that God would be with Moses in verse 19. He says that, that, that the, the people who serve with Moses must be men who trust and fear God, who are trustworthy, they're not in it for dishonest gain, because, well, there are some, sadly, even in the church today, who, who come into ministry leadership because of what they gain from it. They're willing to harm people in a way, and, 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 and Jethro says, well, I know that's a problem, because the problem lurks in the human heart. That's not something we figured out in the 21st century. Thankfully, we've been more willing to expose the failures of leadership maybe than previous generations have. But that problem has been in human hearts. And, and so, so Jethro says, you know, if you do this, verse 23, and God so commands, meaning, hey, I'm going to give you some good advice, but you're the prophet after all. So go speak with God. Stop spending your time on every little case. And, and, and it doesn't mean those things are unimportant. It just means, Moses, focus on something that's more important. You are our representative before Yahweh, the God of the universe. We need you to mediate on our behalf. We need you when we need to hear the word of God spoken to us. You're going to have to get it from God. So you do that and let us handle the day-to-day -day so that we can keep working. Moses, you cannot handle this alone. 
And yet, of course, there is a danger that ministry will be destructive. While he was still in seminary, Eugene Peterson served as a pastoral intern at a church in New York. The, the church janitor, Willie Osa, was also a, an artist. And so he asked the seminarian, would you sit and let me paint a portrait of you? And so week after week, uh, young Eugene, a, a seminarian, would go in and sit with Willie and, and with his wife. But, but he was never allowed to preview the painting. He had to wait for it to be revealed once it was finished. Now, when the portrait was revealed, the, it, it had everything you would expect for a pastoral portrait. There was a, a cross in the background. He was dressed in, in pulpit robes to show his position. He, his hands were resting on a Bible. But when he, when he turned the portrait around, the artist's wife, Mary, she exclaimed, Sick! Sick! She hated it. Because it, it wasn't a portrait of a young seminarian. What, what Willie had done was show Eugene as a much older, a much wearier, a much more broken man. His expression is gone. His eyes are flat. And the artist explains, he said, to his wife, who, who says he looks sick. Well, he's not sick now, but that's the way he'll look when his compassion is gone, when the mercy gets squeezed out of him. The painting was a warning to this young seminarian not to rely on his own strength, not to trust in his own gifting or greatness, not to allow the work of, of pastoral ministry to destroy his love for God and his love for God's people. Now, Pastor Peterson kept the painting throughout the length of his ministry. He couldn't keep it hanging because it was so disturbing to people who would come and visit his office. But he kept it so that at points when, when he needed a reminder of the ministry God had called him to, when he needed a reminder of the dangers in his own heart, that he could pull out this painting. Because sometimes ministry can lead us to forget to really give praise to God. The greatness of Moses in this passage is not that he is the great judge over Israel. It's that he's a man who understands the gospel and who can't help but share it. See, we can find joy in serving God because God has already served us. God has rescued us. Jesus, who is declared in the scriptures to be the Lord, Yahweh in our midst, Jesus gave everything for us. And you've seen paintings of Jesus. As you walk the galleries of the world's great art collections, it's pictures of a man who has been beaten and bloodied. A man who, who was willing to let his own life be taken from him. His body crushed. He willingly gave his life for us. The scriptures tell us that when, when Jesus was, was insulted, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus willingly endured our pain, our sins. The, the scriptures continue. This is First Peter 
Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. When you feel weary, when you feel like the the gospel isn't at the center of your life, then pull out the portrait. The portrait of Jesus, your Savior. See, Moses' life displays the hardships of ministry. Wearied by the burdens of caring for the people. He actually actually shares the hardships as part of the good news. Part of what he had told Jethro back in verse 8. He told about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. See, the hardships Moses faced proved God's love for him. That God was willing to rescue him, to rescue a people who grumble and complain. Moses' testimony doesn't overlook the challenges, but he declares the rescue of God. You and I have the joy of gospel ministry, of witness to the good things, the great things that Yahweh has done, the privilege of making the name of Jesus Christ be known so that our friends and neighbors might join us and say, praise be to the Lord who rescued you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we, we rejoice in the work that Jesus did for us, that he gave his life so that we could have eternal life, that he was judged by you for our sins, that we might be declared righteous in your sight. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your work in our lives. Lord, give us boldness as we witness for you. Grant faith to those who today put their trust in Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.